What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could come from you, the listener, by heading over to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. There, you can be a monthly supporter of the show and my writing that the brilliant Sam Harris describes as basically one less cup of coffee per month. If that's feasible, I'd love to have your continued support. But if not, that's totally fine too, as there are other ways of supporting the show. If you're an Apple Podcasts or iTunes listener, you can leave the show reading and a review that is very quick and very painless and something that I'd very much appreciate and will help other people find the show. I'd also like to quickly remind you that you can listen to the podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, which is pretty cool, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Lastly, don't forget to check out my website at chasethomaspodcast.com where you can find quick, easy access to all of my previous episodes, all of my articles. I'm writing a lot there now, how to contact me, and much more. And with that, let's jump into today's episode. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello, and welcome back to the Chase Thomas Podcast. Friday night edition of the pod, and I am joined by one of my favorite MLB writers. It's Josh Nelson of Southside Sox. He hosts a very good podcast um, on the White Sox, too, that you should definitely check out called Sox Machine. And, you know, go to joshnelsonpodcast.com for more uh, podcasts with Josh. Josh, good evening. How are you, sir? Good evening. I am well. How are you, Chase? I am doing pretty well. How like last time we talked, we kind of checked in on the White Sox, and I think we were both very optimistic about their trajectory in the next couple of years. And I'm still very high on this team. And I I think we kind of it's interesting because I mean the Braves have obviously made a G, GM change since Cabellel mm-hmm. got a lifetime ban and everything. But I think the White Sox and the Braves, as we talked about earlier, just are on the same kind of trajectory where. The NL East is going to open up soon because the Nationals have a lot of big decisions after this year, and we don't know how many more years are left of this Indians run, but it's probably not more than like two max, two, maybe three. And then you have the White Sox, like the Braves, all these great prospects, great farm system, just revamped everything after the Frank Wren disaster and you had the Kenny Williams issues and everything else. And I just think there's a lot of parallels between the two. And now you got Alex Anthopoulos in Atlanta, sniffing around at Christian Yelich, who we'll touch on in a little bit, but your team doing the same kind of thing where it's like you have a lot of good player good young players in the system but you you just don't you shouldn't only rely on uh your farm system and i i think it was keith law who brought this up and i on i think with baseball tonight with buster only a couple weeks ago but which is a great podcast that you should all listen to but he made the point that teams like the cardinals who have made big decisions this offseason already and <laughs> Would love to get Josh Donaldson after acquiring Marcel Azuna. They were in on John Carlos Stanton and all of that, but they're giving up a lot of prospects. And he was like, well, that's the whole point of cultivating this 
just deep farm system is that you sell a lot of these guys for you turn three for one, five for one, whatever the case may be. But ultimately, you don't want to just hoard a bunch of prospects and then hope that they all pan out because it's just it, it's not how it works. So you when you have the opportunity to get someone like a Manny Machado, I mean, if you're Chicago, I mean, you're not going to give up your best prospect, obviously, but you might have to give up your number two or maybe your number four or number two and number four to kind of get that superstar. But that's the whole point is when you draft well and you develop well, other teams will want those assets for their stars that are unhappy or leaving or whatever the case may be. And I think we're going to see either the Braves or the White Sox. They're going to do it soon. And I, I'm interested to know what you think about Machado in a White Sox uniform because I I would very much like to have him playing third base for the Braves, but I don't think that's <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> No, you guys got Freddie Freeman. I mean, he oh, can play third God. base. <laughs> no, with that a- was a bad summer. That was a really <laughs> bad summer because if I hear one more person, like Sports Radio in Atlanta, was talking that up of like it could work. Why would they do it? It's that that was never going to work. And all of this to placate Matt Adams, who is now no longer on the team, is is so silly. What a what a weird dumb season for the Braves. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> Back to what you were saying. Yeah, with with Manny Machado and the Chicago White Sox. I think it was just general manager Rick Hahn doing his due diligence of kicking the tires and trying to understand what the cost would be to acquire a player on the caliber of Manny Machado. Now, there is a clause in the CBA that would allow a team like the Baltimore Orioles to grant a window where they are going to trade X player and the team that they're trading X player to can negotiate a new contract with them before finalizing the deal. And Baltimore is not interested in doing that. And the reason why that is so pivotal for any team interested in trading for Manny Machado is because he's a free agent next year. So if you try to make any deal with Baltimore right now, it's you could only bank on one year. And when it comes to St. Louis, as you mentioned, as Keith Law and a lot of other baseball pundits have said about the St. Louis Cardinals and Manny Machado, that is a destination that would make sense. Because even though the Cardinals have emptied out their farm system a little bit with Marcelo Zuna, they did not give up their top prospects. If they give Mm -hmm. up their top prospects to get Manny Machado, okay, they're all in. But that's the type of move that could realistically propel the St. Louis Cardinals from a wild card contender in the National League to be able to go against their arch rivals, the Chicago Cubs and the National League Central, and go toe to toe, even though it's for one year. But as the saying goes, pennants fly forever. And if you are a team that has a playoff caliber roster, I think it makes the most sense to go after Manny Machado. From a Chicago White Sox perspective, I think Rick Hahn was curious to know if Baltimore would grant that window. And if they were going to grant that window, okay, let's get serious because the White Sox would love to sign Manny Machado. Because as you mentioned, this is a guy who could be your cornerstone third baseman for seven to 10 years. And teams are going to open up the wallet to get Manny Machado. And I think if Rick Hahn could convince his owner, Jerry Reinsdorf, that, hey, we could trade for Manny Machado and we got a window to negotiate a new deal, would you be cool doing a seven-year, $210 million contract, and we've got a superstar coming to the south side of Chicago. Baltimore obviously said no to that, and the rumors for the Chicago White Sox have fizzled. The latest on the Manny Machado rumors 
are the New York Yankees. And it appears that even from Baltimore communicate to the Chicago White Sox, that the Orioles had a certain level of paranoia with the White Sox. Are you really interested in keeping Manny Machado? Are you going to take Manny Machado, flip him to New York, who we hate, for their top prospects? Because that angle makes a lot of sense from a White Sox perspective as well. Because they need better position player prospects in their farm system. And even Rick Hahn has said, no, if if we were to trade Manny for Manny Machado, we're going to keep Manny Machado. But the roster for the White Sox at this moment, Chase, going to 2018 season, it's just it's got far too many holes, far too many questions to be seriously considered a winning team, not a playoff caliber team, but a team that can win at least 81 games. And it would even be a struggle even if Manny Machado was on the roster for the White Sox. So I, I think from a perspective from the White Sox and getting Manny Machado, it was a nice flirtation of the idea. I expect the White Sox to be players during the Manny Machado sweepstakes next year in free agency. But if Manny Machado is going to get moved by the Baltimore Orioles, again, the Orioles want two starting pitchers that could start games for them in 2018. Which uh, does make sense because they can't yeah. develop pitchers. So if I'm the Orioles, yeah, I just punt. No more Dylan Bundys. Like, we can't do it. Sorry. Let's just get uh, starter quality arms that we know are already developed and we can just trust. Right. Yeah, it makes so, sense. Yeah, the price tag's not the problem. Everybody knows the price tag's going to be high. It's just mm-hmm. what teams can meet that price tag. And the team that seems to be so eager right now is the New York Yankees. And again, I, I just don't see I that that doesn't happen. happen. They don't need him. And I'm not saying that of like... <sighs> It just, they don't need him. They have Stanton. They have so many other guys that I just, I'd rather him go to somewhere like the White Sox. I think, I mean, the the Cardinals would be a lot of fun. I think, I mean, obviously the Braves have the, the pitching arms to throw out there. I mean, but obviously they want starter-ready pitchers, not a bunch of, I mean, I don't think Lucas Sims is going to move the needle for the Baltimore Orioles. But then again, who knows with Dan Duquette. But yeah, I just... I don't know who the right fit is, but I do know I want him to go to a team that's close, but that's why I like you Darvish on the twins. I want to see mm. guys like that. I want to see more variety. I want to see certain guys go to like random teams. Like what if the diamondbacks got in on him or somebody like that? Like, I think there's just a lot of more intriguing options than him just going to Machado. But then again, like you talked about where the Orioles are worried about wherever they send him, and especially a team like the White Sox, they'll just turn around and flip them because maybe there is the boogeyman of like a lot of teams are just nervous that he's going to end up signing with the Yankees no matter what, yep. and they're going to lose out on him for a year of service. So then that really dries up the pool of teams likely to trade for someone like him, but then you still have like, I think the Rangers would make sense of someone who'd like take a one-year risk on him and teams like that. And I don't know. I mean, like the Mariners, why not? They now had the longest playoff drought in sports. Go get Machado. Do whatever you can, Jerry DePito. Like, I I just think it would be a lot more entertaining in baseball if we see him leave. But also, if I'm the Orioles, I wouldn't move him anyway. And I think it's kind of ridiculous right at this point anyway, where I would be like, I we have to do whatever we can to keep this guy because you don't get superstar talents like that. And they don't just walk away. Like, I just... It's a really bad situation, and I, I feel bad for Orioles fans because I think it's about to get really bad. And the second they trade Machado, I mean, Britain's already out for the year. Jones is going to be gone after next year. Like, it's just going to get really dark really quickly. And then you just have the looming three to five year window, title window, really, of the Red Sox and the Yankees. So it's like the Blue Jays are in that same boat, kind of, where they're like, they have to trade Donaldson because 
there's no realistic path for them to get in the postseason, really. Right. And then you're, the Rays are just <laughs> – they just are hoping to get a stadium. That's what their 10-year focus is, I guess, is mm-hmm. how do we get a stadium in St. Petersburg somewhere. But, yeah, just – do you do you agree with that at all? Of like Machado, wouldn't you like to see him somewhere else where it just moved the need a lot more and make a, a team that we don't think is that appealing right now, but could become a contender by adding him versus putting him on another already contending team? Well, sure. I think it would make things a lot more fun. I would like Manny Machado to go into free agency because I want to know how high this price tag is going to get, especially with him and Bryce Harper. I was going to say, who do you think it's more? I mean, I know oh, Harper, Bryce, but yeah, Harper will yeah. get more. Harper will get more, but it, you could make the case that Machado deserves more because he's younger. And I, it's amazing to me how the narrative has flipped around Machado. Cause I feel like we're taking him for granted now. Like there was a ESPN piece last year that was like, is Manny Machado the best young player in baseball? And it's just, I feel like he's a victim of a playing on a bad team that if he was in the Nationals and the Nationals are winning in the least in the least with Manny Machado, I think he'd be viewed differently. And I think we actually might think that he would get paid more than Harper. But I don't think you can go wrong with either for like the next five oh, years. I'm no, more worried about no. the years. Who I would like wouldn't you rather give ten years to Machado versus ten years to Harper? Well, I they're would. around the same age though. I would give him ten I years. Harper was a couple years older. How old is Bryce Harper? Bryce Harper's young dude. Both of, like both 26. these both these guys okay, started at 25. He's yeah. a year older. I I thought he was yeah. 26. So reason. both these guys started when they're 19. So that yeah. that's something people lose focus here is that both Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, at the current rates that they're playing, we're, we're talking about future Hall of Famers here, Chase. Uh, and I I don't think that's a drastic thing to say, uh, on their path that they're currently playing. I mean, Baseball Reference says at this age, of who Manny Machado is compared to. It's Adrian Beltre. And I think if you talk to anyone in baseball, they would say, yeah, Adrian Beltre is going to be a Hall of Famer. And Manny Machado keeps this rate up. And if he is the next Adrian Beltre, then yeah, he's worth every penny to spend on him. And yeah, he could be a future Hall of Famer. I mean, there's not too many players like Manny Machado who play a premium defensive position and plays it incredibly well and has the type of power bat that Machado has. Now, he doesn't walk all that often. That's his weakness that you could you gather a lot of strikeouts against Manny Machado. Uh, But again, this guy has hit four consecutive years of 30 plus home runs and he's a gold glove caliber third baseman. We'll see if he does get moved over to shortstop, how that would impact him. Uh, But he definitely has the talent to play at shortstop. I don't know if he's a gold glove caliber, but uh, he's just such a unique talent. And Bryce Harper is such an offensive monster to add and he is pretty good in right field as well obviously right field is not a premium defensive position like Manny Machado but it'll be interesting to see how much money they will make and in in Chicago I could tell you the one person who's most interested on how much Manny Machado signs for is Chris Bryant because whatever Machado signs for Bryant is going to want more Uh, just because Bryant has accomplished more than Manny Machado has in their careers uh, so it, I, I think for my perspective, over the next 10 years, Brian or Machado, Oh, I, th- God. I would still say Machado. Oh man. Chris Bryant is so good offensively. All right. I, I go, I'll agree with you. I would go with Machado just because Machado is better defensively than Chris Bryant. But that is a yeah. tough conversation. I mean, just think with, we are in the glory days of third baseman because I yeah. also love Nolan Arenado. 
I was just about to bring him up of like, he's like the forgotten superstar. I mean, he, he was just so good, like 7.2 war last year. And just, right. he was absolutely just like, he just doesn't feel like a 37 home run, 130 RBI guy, I guess. I think the average fan just took him for granted last year and didn't realize just how awesome he was. And yeah, Arenado becomes era of third baseman. And Arenado and... becomes a free agent in two, after the 2019 season. So whoever doesn't sign Manny Machado... Don't worry, you'll get another crack at signing a franchise-changing third baseman in the next offseason. So uh, I think with Manny Machado going into the season to come full circle, if you're the Baltimore Orioles, listen to the deals. If you don't trade Manny Machado, your hope is that everybody offensively clicks. There is a lot of power in this lineup. Maybe they have one more great year in them where this unit hits 225 plus home runs and you hope that whatever's left of the pitching staff uh, can hold on to some leads and you're an 85 win team and who knows maybe 85 wins gets you into the postseason and at least then you have a shot Uh, but if July comes around and you're 10 games below 500 if you're Baltimore then then try to trade Manny Machado because I, I gotta tell you that putting the qualifying offer on him and watching him sign elsewhere and in return only getting like a second round pick and maybe some international pool money that you don't use anyways. Again, Baltimore does not participate in the international signing. They don't believe in it. They spend the Braves won't be participating for the next couple of Right, that's true. But Baltimore <laughs> That's t- not voluntary. Baltimore takes their money, they trade it to other teams for minor league prospects. They do not participate in it at all. So you're let Manny Machado walk for a second round pick? No way. No way. So if he's not traded this offseason, if St. Louis doesn't ante up the offer, if they don't get over their paranoia with the New York Yankees, then I think at least for the first half, Manny Machado will be with Baltimore. If they're 10 games above 500 in July, they're going to keep Machado and try to make it to the postseason. If they're 10 games below 500, I think they're definitely going to trade Manny Machado, and that will be a hot topic in July. If there's somewhere in between, It'll be interesting to see what they do. It'll have to depend on what who else in the American League uh, is playing at that level. Because again, remember, it only took 83 wins for the Minnesota Twins to make it to the postseason. There were only five winning teams last year in the American League. And I got to tell you, Chase, I mean, I know the Angels have made some significant moves. So have the Seattle Mariners. We could only still be looking at six to seven teams in the American League that I think will win more than 81 games. And yeah. I, I only think maybe at this moment, I'm confident that three teams can win more than 90. So it's going to be a really interesting situation in the American League this upcoming year. And I think that will play a factor in Manny Machado's market. Yeah, I I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. My prediction right now, I think the Orioles lose him for nothing in that second round pick that you're talking about next year. That oh, is my man. prediction. That's that's there will be fans, there will be Orioles fans jumping ship then that <laughs> that that I'm serious that could be the deal breaker where all of a sudden except for the diehards uh, anyone that had somewhat interest in the Baltimore or- Orioles in the Baltimore area uh, they may not pay attention to baseball for a while it, it'd be very similar to the Marlins trading John Carl Stanton out yeah. of the blue where people are not interested in baseball in Miami anymore and you know what I can't blame them speaking of fan bases that have good reason to kind of jump ship from their team. New York Mets rumored to be, (laughs) you know, while the Yankees are 
acquiring the Stantons of the world, going after Garrett Cole, Machado, making big splashy moves, you know, trying to be a big market team. There is the New York Mets, you know, doing their New York Mets stuff. Um, And, you know, they're trying, but they're trying with Andrew McCutcheon. And like me reading that there's like this, one of the saddest bidding wars ever of the Mets or the Giants, both teams that are just in very weird situations right now. And both, I just, I'm not optimistic about either in the next couple of years, but now apparently that just seems like if the Pirates do move on from McCutcheon, like he's going to stay in the NL and he would go to a team like the Mets or the Giants. I, I could see him on the Mets. It'd be a very Mets thing to get him at this point in his career, but I, I don't know. I don't like the fit for the Giants. Like, who do you think he should go to? Do either of those make sense, or are you just going to pass on both? Well, the Giants need to add an outfielder because, my Lord, they have one of the worst outfields in 2017. Collectively, yeah. they were negative one win above replacement. And in center field, which I don't think Andrew McCutcheon is a center fielder anymore. I I try to move yeah, him to a corner. Uh, Denard Spann was the center fielder for the San Francisco Giants, and he's no longer with the team. And that's probably a good thing because overall he was worth negative 1.1 wins above replacement, according yeah. to baseball reference. So the Giants desperately need outfielders. And you can't blame San Francisco. I mean, they tried, Chase. They tried to get John Carl Stanton. He just would not agree to a trade with the Giants. And but this is a team that won 64 games last year. Why are they still trying? What are because they their at? roster is, is so old. I know. They Jeez, should, they should so not be old. getting older. Why do you want to add Andrew McCutcheon? It's already an old roster. They need to go the other way. They're at the point of no return. They've got so oh much God. money tied up in these deals. I mean, oh, you got Madison Bumgarner. You got Johnny Cueto. You got Jeff Samarja. I mean, that's a lot of money there. I'm They're, moving all of them. I'm moving Posey. Oh, Posey's 30. Oh, dude, if you, could, if you put Buster Posey on the trade market, that would be interesting to see what kind of players could come back in return joe panic goodbye like everybody brandon belt uh it seems like a mets first baseman i don't know like i'm moving on from everybody i I don't know what they're doing i I talked to brandon murphy about this the chronicles a couple months ago where this is a terrible farm system this is a team that tried last year and they won 64 games they're in a really really competitive division outside of the padres i mean the dodgers aren't going anywhere anytime soon so the real only shot is a wild card spot and, you know, the Rockies and the Diamondbacks are significantly better than them and will probably be better than them over the next couple of years. I mean, the Diamondbacks are going to take a hit by not getting J.D. Martinez back, which I still am kind of baffled that they're not just going to pony up for him considering how good he was in there close anyway got to the second round of the playoffs. And I don't know. I feel, feel like this is a time they should be investing in actually pony up and pay someone like Martinez. But anyway... I, I just, the Giants stuff, it doesn't make any sense. I don't want McCutcheon to go to San Francisco because I think this is going to be a bad team again. And I want him to go to a team that has a shot at making the playoffs. So I could see the Cubs making sense at some point. Like if they wanted to like do a Schwarber for McCutcheon kind of situation where the Pirates get younger there and then the Cubs just get another good clubhouse guy, another a guy who they won't have to play and they can platoon and stuff like that. Like I could see the Mets just... Ugh, I I don't like either of these situations. If those are my choices, I'm just letting him write out his career in Pittsburgh. Well, with the Mets, I think their biggest addition this offseason was hiring Mickey Callaway to be their manager. I have a lot of respect for Callaway for the work that he's done with the Cleveland Indians, especially with their starting staff. 
taking Corey Kluber, who a lot of a lot of teams just gave up on Kluber, and it seemed yeah. like the the Indians would, and he has made Kluber into a monster, becoming one of the best starting pitchers in the game of baseball, and helping Danny Salazar and when they're healthy. And again, that that monster of a bullpen. I mean, they just lost Boone Logan, who signed with the Milwaukee Brewers. So, uh, teams are just raiding the Indians' bullpen at this moment, uh, and hoping that these guys could help their own bullpens. And a lot of credit of that goes to the work that Mickey Callaway has done with these pitchers. And I, I think Callaway is a great hire for the Mets because obviously, if the Mets are going to turn this around, they need Noah Syndergaard and Jacob uh, Degrom to be healthy and on that mound and pitching. And maybe, just maybe, they have enough offense where they're going to have to win a lot of four to three, three to two type games. But that pitching staff could propel them and they could actually compete against the Washington Nationals. I don't think the Mets are a playoff caliber team. I think even if the Mets traded for Andrew McCutcheon, that's not going to really move the needle a whole lot. Uh, but they are a team that I am going to be paying attention to because if Callaway could bring his magic from Cleveland to Queens, then don't lose hope Mets fans, because maybe that is a quick turnaround, but they need ownership to spend some money. I know they spent some money on Jonas Cespedes and I, and that was a struggle. That was like a fan revolt situation where they were like, this is unacceptable. Like you just have to pay this guy. This is, this is ridiculous. This is New York. It, uh, yeah, that was, that was a really crazy time. I missed that. The Mets were a lot more interesting back then. Yeah. And again, the Mets, obviously, they needed to address third base because David Wright obviously will probably never be the same. It's going to be interesting offensively for the Mets and what direction they want to go with. They they Can I they do need more offense. I think they should go deep, like where I think McCutcheon should go if I... Well, I disagree with the Cubs because the Cubs should just play Albert Amora in center field because I think he's got a well, lot no, of Well, no, I wouldn't put McCutcheon in center. No, Amora would definitely stay there. I'm talking about like I would move Schwarber and maybe maybe see if you can get Garrett Cole in this deal like because I think they could use like another starter anyway, and they're probably going to lose Arietta. I, I think that would be something interesting if they could find a way to facilitate like a multi-person trade that got McCutcheon and Cole to Chicago, but I don't think Sh- Pittsburgh is dying to help the Cubs right now. But no. My two teams that I would like to see McCutcheon go to that I think would make the most sense. One, the Diamondbacks. If they lose J.D. Martinez, you at least need to find somebody as like a stopgap guy there. And I think they should continue adding free agent guys and taking chances on people. I think that would make a lot of sense. And the other is the Rangers. I think the Rangers Mm. would make a lot of sense. I don't love their outfield depth. And I think adding another guy like McCutcheon would help things. Because I think they're in a position where they need to, even though everybody's pretty far away from the Astros. I think they need to continue trying to compete. And I think adding someone like McCutcheon would help. But um, yeah, those are the two that came to mind when I first thought about McCutcheon trades. I could see Texas, but I don't know what Texas is at this moment. I don't think anybody, I don't think John Daniels knows what Texas is. Well, and you know, that's kind of a problem. Uh, you may want to figure that out uh, before well, you, spot. you, you I mean, move any players. are now going for it. The Astros have just everything unlocked. The Mariners are still trying. And, you know, the A's, you know, Stephen Piscotty's there now. Matt Olson's awesome. He's just hitting 9,000 bombs. Like, I could see a scenario where the A's just are a little bit better next year. And then you're just like, could the bottom fall out for this Rangers team this year? I think it's a possibility. 
Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they did finish in last place. But is that the worst state in the world for the Rangers? No, it's not. So I, I man, I don't know when it comes to Andrew McCutcheon. I still think it's going to be a team like the Giants that will make a move because they have to boost their outfield. They just have to. I mean, they're they're at a point of no return. They cannot turn around and decide we're going to rebuild. Some of those contracts are ugly. Like who in the world is going to trade for Jeff Sabarja at that contract? Nobody. Uh, maybe get some interest at Johnny Cueto, but there's still a lot of years Jeff remaining Samarja on that deal. Feels like a Baltimore Orioles trade. That feels like someone they would target. Boom. There you go. Now you know what? Three team trade. Work it out. Baltimore. <laughs> Pittsburgh, San Francisco, somehow the Giants get Manny Machado and Andrew McCutcheon. They sacrifice their entire minor league system in order to make that move. Uh, and yeah, there, there you go. The Giants are in a much better position to compete. They still that may not have enough to beat the Dodgers. Uh, obviously, I'm joking. That's a crazy. Uh, but yeah, I, and it's the whole thing in the offseason, right? And why this is so slow, because I do not think, Chase, teams have a good grasp of who they are. I mean, we talked about the White Sox. The White Sox understand who they are. They are a rebuilding team going into year two of this rebuild. They're not expected to be a winning team. They need another year of player development to have a better understanding of how the guys are doing in the major leagues in year two, especially for their pitchers, Lucas Giolito, Ronaldo Lopez, and Yohan Mikata, and their top prospects on how they do in year two in their farm system, like Michael Kopech and Aloy Jimenez. Uh, and you obviously know who the contenders are, right? We know the Dodgers are going to be a contender. The Cubs are going to be a contender. The Nationals, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Astros, the Indians will be decent. The Twins will be decent. And the Colorado Rockies have decided, you know what? We can't convince free agents to sign at market value to pitch for us, so we have to overpay. But at least they're trying. They're trying to build this super bullpen, and I know they spent a lot of money, and pundits want to make fun of the Rockies for spending all this cash on their bullpen. But how else are they going to convince pitchers to pitch for them in Denver if they don't overspend? So I at least like the effort that it the Rockies like the have put in. Van Gundy argument in Detroit where he paid guys like Boban and who else was it? Aaron Baines was the one, yeah, and like just to get them to come to Detroit that they had to overpay, but he was like, it doesn't really matter. The money doesn't matter. We just need the guys. Right. And there's, it's an interesting, it's a, it's an interesting debate because I can understand both sides and I'm not sure where I totally stand on what the Rockies are doing, but Wade Davis, it's fine. They overpaid. Mm -hmm. I think we can all agree on that. But then again, baseball is different in a way where I don't really look at the dollars. I'm more concerned about the years and it's not like a huge investment in Wade Davis. And if it, flames out it flames out who cares but like that i i understand why you do it and they're doing it for postseason reasons it they want to have wade davis if they're in a wild card situation and that makes sense sure and it's not my money like i, I it, it's fine and i'm never gonna discourage especially small market teams from spending because i want teams like colorado to spend i want them to try because i want them to do well so yeah that i guess that's my biggest thing is but i i the years always scare me. Like mm-hmm. that is when you get to that seven to eight, like the pool hole situation. That's when it gets scary of like, well, we just wanted the guy, the name for LA. And then you get to this point now where they're unplayable and they've got several, several more years on their contract. So stuff like that. I think it's, it's tough, but I don't know if there's necessarily a right answer, but I do know Andrew McCutcheon in 
San Francisco is not the right answer, and you're asking the wrong questions. Last well, thing. I, I mean, oh, well, I was just going to say, for the Giants, though, again, they, they're at the point of no return. I don't think they're in a yeah. position to rebuild. They got to try. They are. They have to trade everybody. No, move yeah. on. Go. That's not going to happen. Uh, that's not going to happen. They're, they're going to try to win. an involuntary, <laughs> involuntarily rebuild situation. That's what's I think that situation is going to happen next year. But to go back to the point I was trying to make, right now at this moment, Chase, the reason this offseason is slow because there's only eight to ten teams that I'm confident in they can have a winning season out of, out of, eight to 10. Out of, of a 30 team league, only eight to 10 in the American league East, the Red Sox, Yankees in the American mm-hmm. league central, the Indians and twins in the American league You're West, confident the twins, I am confident in the twins and okay. the American I'm league West. You, I, I'm thinking like an 82 wins for the twins, not a whole lot over 500, but well, that it is, off. it is. Yeah. By one game. Uh, then, <laughs> then you have the Astros <laughs> and I think the angels. Okay. So okay. you have six teams there, Dodgers, Rockies, Cubs, Nationals, okay, and the Cardinals. So 11 teams, 11 teams that I'm confident right now that could finish above 500 out of a 30-team league. I just think right now there's too many teams in Major League Baseball that do not know what they have or who they are going into the 2018 season. And that is why you're seeing a lot of teams not willing to pull the trigger. And that's why you're getting these rumors to go back to Manny Machado where a team like the Chicago White Sox, even though they're just kicking the tires just for discovery reasons of what it would cost, that it becomes a hot rumor when it probably wasn't all that hot to begin with. And that's why this offseason is slow. And I wish Scott Boris the best of luck trying to get deals for his free agents because, yeah, Eric Hosmer may get the biggest contract, but he's going to sign with who? San Diego? I mean, come on. What did Kansas City offer him? Is it seven years? I think that's a farce. I don't think that's even true. I Uh, I cannot believe the if the Royals signed Eric Hosmer. Because they're screwed either way. And I, I think that's their situation is Dayton Moore knows that's why he kind of flirted with the Braves is... They're about to go through a just nasty rebuild because they don't have a good farm system but at all. But you have to go through him. it. I mean, if you're trying yeah. to get the Giants to go through a rebuild, my lord, the Royals need to go through through a rebuild right now. They need to slam the, the door. The good thing for both those fan bases, though, is they both want a title in the last 10 years. So it's right. fine. Yeah, you absolutely. Your but the Royals need to slam the door on Mike Moustakis yeah. and Eric Hosmer and say, sorry, guys, we loved you when you're here, but we're going in another direction. And I think they're worried about the money. Like, I think they're worried about people coming to these games for the next seven years, because if you lose Hosmer and Moustakis, who are just household names, I think, in Kansas City, it gets uh, pretty dark. (laughs) Well, it was dark for two decades that they still existed. So what's new? I mean, yeah, I just think the Royals need to turn around. But again, this is the reason why the offseason has been incredibly slow, incredibly frustrating from a media and fan standpoint. It's just because I think there's an identity crisis that's going on in Major League Baseball right now where... There's too far many teams that are rebuilding, a.k.a. tanking right now, and there's too few teams that have a good enough roster that you can look on a paper and say, yeah, I think this is a playoff contender. And then you have the majority of teams right in the middle that you have no idea what kind of team they could be. They could be a team that could win 70 games or they could get lucky and win 88 games and earn a wild card bid. Uh, It's just it's really topsy-turvy in Major League Baseball right now. And uh, I, I'm quite interested to see how this offseason will end because uh, February 14th, uh, spring training begins, and that's only five weeks away. 
Yeah, um, I think we're gonna get. I think it's gonna pick up in the next couple weeks. I think at some point it has no choice gonna, but to. Yeah, that's true. And I'm not looking forward to Mike Mustakas signing that first deal with the Braves to be the Braves third baseman <laughs> for the next five years because he is very much a Braves third baseman. Yeah, he and, is. Yeah, He's Chris Johnson in. 2.0. Get excited, yeah. next chipper. All right. Um, yeah, and the last thing though I wanted to touch on, and this actually has to do with the Braves, and you know maybe the White Sox, maybe they're sniffing around on you know going after somebody like Christian Yelich, but it seems like the Marlins. I don't. There's so much to be made, and that's like a totally different podcast of what's going on with the Jeter-led Marlins. But I will say it's very, it's very bizarre that like their plan of action is just coming out into the open so much where it's like, oh, Azuna, they were hoping to get a better deal than Stan, but Stan, they were looking just to get a salary dump. And then Yelich, this is the guy that they're looking to move for the best possible pack. Why Why are they just like telling everybody their game plan? Uh, it's just bizarre that everything is playing out publicly before they make any moves. So it seems like they're giving up their leverage over and over again. But I would say there. it seems like there's a lot of debate surrounding whether or not Ozuna or Yelich is a better um trade chip i would i th- i guess i would say yellowage but i think it's close mm-hmm. and i don't think the cardinals are upset about what they had to give up to get someone like ozuna who is still a really good player i am all the way here for yellowage in a braves uniform 100 i i am one I, no like ronald acuna is coming he but yep. we don't really know and dansby swanson obviously has really struggled in after being really hyped and i still think there's something to playing in your hometown and like playing like 20 minutes from where you grew up and all that kind of stuff but yeah he's not gonna be a superstar it's just not gonna happen so we don't really know acuna i think he has a more likely shot at being coming a superstar but that's still a couple years away yelich is there like i don't think he's a superstar but i think he's a star and i think he is really really underrated and i think that would push this braves team to being at least in wildcard contention, I really do. And I think it's interesting that they're in on him, the catcher JT, you know, I, uh, I think it's interesting, but do you think there is a real chance that they move someone like Yelich to a division rival? Like, or where, where do you see Yelich going in? What would you give up for somebody like him? If you're a team like the Braves, you know, I like the Yelich to Atlanta deal. And I think that with the new GM, Alex Anthopoulos, taking over, uh, he has not been shy making big deals, especially when he was the GM with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, I think this deal makes a lot of sense for both teams. One, the Braves have a lot of pitching prospects, a lot of pitching prospects in their system that they could afford to give up some really talented pitchers to Miami. Again, Miami's farm system is just, it's not good. Even after the Stan and Azuna deals, it's just still not good. And the Braves could help out, especially the pitching front for Miami, where they have a lot of high school talent, guys that are 19, 20 years old, that have a very high ceiling and they can afford to move them because they do have that depth. And Miami has the time and patience with these guys to allow them to develop properly. So when they're 23, 24 years old, they could join the Miami Marlins and be part of the starting rotation and they get help for better and brighter days in Miami, starting with the pitching front and for the Braves. And I think what they get, cause you know, with Acuna, I think that he could play center field from what I have seen. I think he could play center field. He just kind of logged in because Ender Inciarte is just so good. Yeah. Inciarte is awesome. Really move him. You can't move him yet. Right. So I, I think, you know, Kuna, 
maybe put him in right field, and then you can have Yelich go left. That's part of the reason they traded Kemp. I think Markakis is not moving either. Like he is. Oh, I keep forgetting Nick Markakis is there. You know. Yeah. Why? Well, he's a veteran. Like it seems like he's super important to that team in that clubhouse. I, I, he must be a great clubhouse guy. It's the Hosmer situation where, you know, it, he's been there for a while. It's, he's very much a below replacement lever player. I, I don't think Hosmer is that, but I, I think he's trending there in the next year or two. But yeah, Mark Hickis is just fine. And but you know just, what? Mark Hickis could be coming off the bench. Okay. Yeah. So Mark sure. Hickis is that veteran bench. He's your fourth outfielder for the Atlanta Braves and you put Yelich at right field and all of a sudden he's going to look like Josh Reddick uh, when he was with the Oakland Athletics. That's what he'll remind me of if he starts playing right field. I don't think Yelich is a good center fielder. I do not. And the metrics back me up on that where he's just not very strong in center field that he'd be better suited probably in left field. Uh, but if you have Acuna playing in left be- field and Inciarte playing in center field and Yelich in right, I mean, that's, that's a, a really good outfield. That's a really good outfield. And is that something that propels the Braves into playoff contention to 2018? No, but it is something that you're going to have to start taking the Braves very seriously in 2019 and beyond. And when you build a new stadium like they have, even though with the roster that they put out there, uh, I know they still have their sellouts and I know that they have their issues as far as the parking and transportation into the new stadium. But if you add a player like Yelich, who I think is going to be a four wins above replacement type of player for the next three years, along with Freddie Freeman and the young talent that's coming through their system, that's a lot of excitement. That's a lot of reasons to be excited about the Atlanta Braves for from 2019 and beyond. And I know that they're going to get they're hurt on the international front. They're not going to be able to sign Akuna type players from the international pipeline. So why not go for it and, and try to move the competitive window up by a year. And uh, I think if you're a Braves fan, this is a type of deal. And, and I know Braves fans love their prospects. Oh my God. You guys love your prospects more than any fan base in major league baseball. But this is where I take three to four of your best prospects, move it for Christian Yelich. Because as long as sudden, it's not Max Freed, as long as it's not my guy, love Max Freed. All right, you can have Max Sean Freed. Newcomb. We'll get Sean we'll talk Newcomb, Ian Anderson, Lucas Sims. Yeah, Ian Anderson could be one. I, I think that okay. would be someone that would be part of a package. But you know, move them. Is it time to send Emilio Bonifacio back to Miami? Emilio Bonifacio. <laughs> he's still in the he's still in the majors. He was with the White Sox for a brief moment. Old. How Fred is he Lars. only thirty two? He's only thirty two. Isn't that strange? I feel like he's been wow. in majors for like he's Matt Kemp's age, which yeah. seems odd. Uh, that, that 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 does seem odd. But anyway, so with the Braves, because you have to, you mentioned with the Washington Nationals, who are the Nationals going to be in a couple of years? I still think they're going to be a very good team. I think people don't give Adam Eaton enough credit, and I think that he is going to be the 2018 play uh, comeback player of the year. There you go, bold prediction for your podcast, Ooh, Chase. Adam Eaton, National like League it. comeback player of the year in 2018. And uh, but, you know, when Harper leaves, what kind of team do the Nationals still have? I think they could still be very dangerous. They're really good on the pitching front, but they're obviously missing a big bat in their lineup. Does that does that gap of Bryce Harper leaving D.C. enough for the Atlanta Braves to step in? Or is it enough for the Atlanta Braves to stay ahead of the Philadelphia Phillies who are starting to get interesting? And no, they're not. 
let's let's they have they cash. Got Carlos Santana. They have cash, but they like, have cash. Their rebuild has been a low key dumpster fire, and I feel like you know there's what? not been there's set, enough there's cash enough that you that. could go ahead and throw on a dumpster fire to make you interesting. Either interesting, so you're pushing for Ruben really Amaro bad Junior to come back. Oh, I, I'm <laughs> <instead>. thinking, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. But you know, for the Braves, I don't think they're that far away, but. They do need to grab another player like Christian Yelich, and if they could do that, then all of a sudden, you know, they could surprise. They could surprise a lot of teams in 2019 and beyond. But without a player like Christian Yelich, I, I still find it hard to believe that the Atlanta Braves could go toe to toe with the Washington Nationals um, and before 2021. To be honest with you, I think the next two years the Nationals would still be better in 19 and 20 than the Atlanta Braves. So. How patient do you want to be, Braves fans? Because you can't keep these prospects forever. They either have to play or you need to move them to add assets, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, regarding with Manny Machado. Yeah, I think ultimately my gut tells me they're still what Anthopolis' first big move is going to be is a starting pitcher. I think he's just going to acquire someone that no one's expecting him to acquire. But you have play. the prospects. <laughs> yeah. The well, I'm saying like I think it's going to be a name that's going to surprise some people. I think he's going to get a big name. I really do. Hmm. I don't know who it's going to be yet, but it he's going to get somebody. I don't know if it's Grinky, which would I would buy his jersey day one. Uh, Grinky is my favorite pitcher of all time, and I'll never forgive the Royals for not following through on the Frank Core for Grinky swap a decade ago. But you know, I think it's. I don't think it's going to be Yelich. I think Yelich is going to go somewhere else. But it would be cool. I'm okay with either. I think they do have to do something though. They they underachieved last year. They had 72 wins, I think. It's, I think the NL East is, you can make the case the NL East is like suddenly becoming like the most open division in baseball, I think. It's either that or the AL Central, but. Oh, the I AL think, Central in 2019 and beyond. It's going to get weird. Yeah. It's going to get like Austin, Texas weird, where you could have, you could, you could have a superpower coming out of the Central. I mean, everybody's wondering what are the Red Sox going to do to compete against this great Yankees dynasty. I don't know if it's Boston necessarily to take on the evil empire. I still think the Houston Astros are going to be a terrific team for the next three to five years. Uh, The Angels have the best player in Major League Baseball, and who knows what Shohei Otani could bring to the table. And, and you know, the White Sox, they they have the prospects. Mikado, he's there. Yohan Mikado and Eloy Jimenez, I think, are going to be absolute monsters. Uh, as far as in their lineup, if you are in a dynasty fantasy baseball league and if nobody has Aloy Jimenez, you need to get Aloy Jimenez. He is going to be the next big deal in Major League Baseball. And by big deal, I think he is a hitter that's going to hit 35 plus home runs a year in the outfield. That's how confident I, I am love it. in Jimenez because he is doing things in the minor leagues that I have never seen any player to do. As a matter of fact, the comp that I got this season, Chase, Miguel Cabrera. Oh, that is what people who have been watching Double A baseball for An twenty Central plus legend. years. <laughs> yes, they they haven't seen anyone like him since Miguel Cabrera came through Double A. So, uh, I think that's kind of where the White Sox are, and just a position with the Atlanta Braves because I think the Braves are right up there too. We'll see which team makes the big move because obviously. In twenty after this 2018 season chase and beyond, it is going to have to be the teams like the Atlanta Braves and the Chicago White Sox to make these big moves. Because if they do not, it is clear the Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Yankees will. And what kind of yeah. league do we want to have? 
Well, as you to you know back up your point, yeah, this is where you're going to want the teams that are rebuilding and the mid market teams to finally spend that cash uh, that they have in their piggy bank because. Again, if they don't, the Yankees and Dodgers will. That's a good way to end it. That was that was a professional way to end this. I like it. Leaving on kind of a cliffhanger. I this was good, Josh. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, Chase. Thank you for having me on. No problem. We can find you on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. We can listen to you at on the Sox Machine Podcast and just you know, keep up with all the great White Sox stuff and uh, don't forget to check out joshnelsonpodcast.com. So, Josh, thank you so much and we will talk again soon, sir. Yes, thank you, Chase. All right, Josh. All right, Eric Brady of RBR Wrestling is on the podcast now, fresh off the Arby's. What did Will call it? What the Ar- the Arby's, the thirteenth annual Arby's. That's you know thirteenth annual. That's what happens when you have the uh, longest running wrestling podcast in the world. That is correct. That is correct. Cheap plug. All right, that's my last plug. No, you can plug it all you want. I, I've been on RBR. I love those guys. So you know, we are always happy to have you on. Except people seem to think you sound like one of our hosts, which I don't understand. Did we not put that to bed when Maxwell and I were? hosting for that one hour of audio bliss a couple weeks ago and then and then i think people realized no chase is he's the good one i would agree that's yeah i would agree there and he's the smart one yeah this will be a good test to see whether or not maxwell does listen to my podcast because he's gonna be very mad in his earbuds as he's in the gym at 6 a.m uh, <laughs> listening to this back and forth but yeah i i just finished up this week's episode and i did have some thoughts on that but i was surprised you kept it very serious eric brady you did not have uh, any like tongue-in-cheek picks which i was proud of you you're you're growing it, up man it, it seems like the only pick people hate i mean there was the joke where it i built up like i was going to pick gender yes. for wrestler of the year because i i am a fan of gender but not anywhere near wrestler of the year fan of gender i'm just proud of what he has done this year and he has gained more respect than he used to have. Top 40 wrestler of the year, maybe. I think the only pick I had that really upset people was Roman Reigns as worst wrestler of the year. Yeah, that wasn't good. Which really was most disappointing wrestler of the year. I forgot all the Braun stuff. I can kind of see that now. I think you could give him worst booked wrestler every year. But Taker, Cena, and Shield stuff. Yeah, like I think he's just more of like yeah, I think the that's, worst booked that's wrestler. That's the real key. The, like, and they give him the worst scripts. Like I... It was interesting because I was listening to, I think, the Mass Man show and they were talking up like I think David Shoemaker, who I agree with a lot of his stuff on gender, which is that like gender can still be bad. But also it's, I think, fair to say that they have maximized his value. So they have figured out a way to like turn somebody who was just completely useless in the company earlier this year into someone who is still someone you should not give the like, WWE title to. But like he has. But a you use. had no expectations yes. for gender going into 2017. And by the end of 2017, he definitely did some bad stuff. And to me, like he had the worst promo of the year by me. He had some feuds people didn't like. But you you think about gender more and you've probably seen a decent gender match like the one with AJ that you hadn't seen before. Whereas like Roman is positioned as the guy in the company. He is supposed to be your flagship guy going forward. So he should not be disappointing you month after month. Whereas if gender disappointed you month after month, you were like, that's the same thing he's done for seven exactly. years. Yeah. So they're on a higher stage. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's his entrance is still great. And I think there are positives to his stuff. His wrestling's still terrible. But, you know, 
I, I just agree with the sentiment that they've maximized his value to the fullest extent. So that's really what we should want from them is we want them to find people that, you know, they haven't figured things out with and to figure out a way to how do we shoot this guy to the moon? They shot the wrong guy. Like gender did not deserve that. But if you want them to continue doing stuff like what they did with gender, just with a slight uh, tweak but like bit. because you just you, you look at how like guys like Goldust are on TV or Mark Henry still on the roster and guys who have been there for legitimately over 20 years mm-hmm. or in Goldust case he left and came back but like guys you've known for 20 years yeah. and they're still not important yeah and at some point you think like why do you th- fire these people either try or fire them like Mark Henry they tried 10 years ago and now they're bored with him again at least gender they brought retired. him back and they're trying the last time he was on television is he not in the company anymore, dude? I don't. I feel like Mark Henry. When I, Could I be you know wrong? what? If you go to, if you go to Little Caesars, he's on the WWE poster. I, you know, I know, I know that he had one of my favorite. Sounds like runs he did retire of the last decade. I will always be here for his SmackDown World Heavyweight Title run. That was he, incredible. He just retired in 2017 okay, so after WrestleMania. There you go. So less than a year ago. Good for him. He's probably working as a so he spent agent. 21 years in that company. Yeah. I mean, he had a great, but it took him forever. It's like, when did he finally get, what, how many years in was that? Like 13? His 2011, I think was like his title run. And he came in in 96. So 15 years before he became a star. <laughs> That's insane. Whereas you see all these guys now who within two or three years are multiple time world champions. Yeah. And like, we're talking about like Roman Reigns and how people are like, wow, he's had three consecutive WrestleManias. No one's ever done that. Like he's only been around six years also. It took three years before he was main eventing WrestleMania and then he did it back to back to back. The rain stuff will always be just so complicated. We could do like a thousand podcasts a year on the Roman (laughs) Reigns situation because I, he's not going anywhere. He's still very young and he's someone they're going to build around for the next decade. So it's just, they're never, I've given up on believing they're ever going to book him in a, in the way that he probably should have been booked all along. They probably assume that three years from now, people will just start to like respect him just for how long he's been doing it, that they'll just keep, keep, he'll be the top star for another five years. And by then you'll be like, you know, love him or hate him. You got to respect him. Like a lot of people did to John Cena a few years ago. Yeah. I think it, is it, I will say the one thing that Roman doesn't get enough credit for, and there's kind of been some revisionist history about John Cena's early title run, and especially on Raw, it he was just he was not a fun wrestler, and there was legitimate beef to the Cena character and everything else, and we saw that come back out. It comes back out in spurts when he has that Roman Reigns promo where he just from a week to week basis decides whether or not to go into that horrible comedy stuff that he was just known for. And that's why so many like wrestling fans just could not stand him is just the way he carried himself and his lines and just his goofiness. And he didn't have the work rate to back it up for those first couple of years. And then he got really good and then became like one of the best wrestlers in the company. And then, but Roman Reigns has been a great wrestler really from year like two, the latest since he's been on raw, like he is delivered on a match to match basis. A just really early on, I think he deserves a lot of credit for the stuff that he can't control. Like, I don't think he can control that he's just booked in a really stupid way and that he's like, when Vince looks at him, he just sees money. And I don't think a lot of the problems for Roman Reigns are his fault. And I think that's probably like the saddest part of all of this. I think he just wants to be liked. And I think he has the work rate to be a top guy. 
he'll never have the promo skills to be that guy. But I, he's put in these positions where he has to say stuff like, what was the horrible line that he was saying to John Cena? Like he kept saying bitch, but what was it fully? Fake ass bitch. Yeah, stuff it was like something that. about like, Ugh. these people don't like you for two reasons. First off, you suck. Second off, you, you're phony and they see right through you and you're a part-time fake ass bitch. That was just a bad thing to start because no one believed that like, Roman Reigns cannot play off the idea that he is just this rebel. And that's what that feud was, is he was trying to be a rebel of like, oh, I'm the new blood. I'm like, they don't want me. They want you, John, and you're the company man. It's just that doesn't work. But what does work but he was, is the bronze. He was like stuff. simultaneously doing that of like, oh, you always put people down and blah, blah. And then also being like, that's why you hate me because you know they won't let you bury me. And it's like, <laughs> don't break the fourth wall to talk about letting him bury you. Like, stupid. Just be tough. A lot of people like that feud in those promos. I thought they were atrocious. The best part of that entire feud was The Miz, by far. When The Miz interjected and was in the middle of those two, The Miz was fantastic. Miz was... I mean, he might have been my wrestler of the year because wrestler of the year, I think, cannot just be about in-ring work, especially in the WWE. Like, I guess New Japan, you could probably do that. But I just, I, The Miz, I really hope 2018 is the year he finally gets a world title. I don't know if he'll ever get it on Raw, but if he can move back to SmackDown, like, would he not be the perfect person? He's still the guy, if I was booking the Royal Rumble right now, I would put him over and have him win it and then challenge AJ Styles. The kind of heat and just fan interaction of the Miz facing an indie darling like AJ Styles for the WWE title at WrestleMania. And you know, the match would deliver, you know, that'd be great. And then AJ, I mean, he's lost to Jericho and then he beat Shane at WrestleMania. Like, I think he'd be willing to put Miz over and then you just have Miz run through SmackDown for like six months. And like your point of Miz working with the internet darling, that's kind of been Miz's career for the last six years. Ever since Daniel Bryan came in. Yeah. Has been the like, yeah, I didn't bust my ass to get here. I came from MTV and Tough Enough. And now here I am. I've main evented a WrestleMania. I love the miss. I've I've missed him, so I'm glad he's gonna be back soon. But yeah, it's uh it's interesting. So there was something this week, and you know who's had like the worst year of twenty seventeen? Like the like Mike Bennett, man. Like he is someone that I think we both like um as it in a vacuum, but the he was given a goofy gimmick with Maria Canellis, but he's been seen off and on. There's obviously some behind the scenes stuff going on there, but he got really mad online and someone called him out of like his bad year and everything else. And then he got really insecure and defensive about his year and just saying that, you know, I've like, I got clean and all that kind of stuff, which is great and very important, but that's like not what the guy's talking about. Like, I don't know how you could say that, he did not have just kind of a disastrous year. Like that debut, didn't he debut at a pay-per-view just in the middle of it? One of the SmackDown. He debuted at Money in the Bank yeah. in May oh my or June, whenever it was. And then he's just been there. And then obviously Maria got pregnant and everything else. But I mean, saying he's been there is like very misleading because that's the problem with his year is he hasn't been there. And then you had like the he came in that first month. Like, like, remember the dirt sheets, like right after he debuted, that they were already souring on that partnership and that just yeah. character. Like, I, I think it's fair to criticize the year that Bennett and Maria have had. I understand there's the when you 
criticize like his year no one's talking about the personal stuff and i think that was just kind of odd to me that he took it personally because i don't think that's what they're talking about when they're criticizing mike bennett and maria's year because that i just i don't know how you could look at it other than just kind of like a huge flop like one of their biggest free agent flops this year like i don't blame him for jumping there because a lot of his social media is talking about how He's like getting clean from prescription drugs because yeah. his first two months in WWE, he apparently was still addicted to some sort of painkiller opioids or something. First off, good for him getting off and staying clean for five months. Yeah. That's fantastic. But I think the people are criticizing because he made his big debut at that pay-per-view in June. Uh, over the next month, he had like three matches, like one on pay-per-view and two on TV where he only won one of them. And in the last five months, he's only had two matches and he lost them both. He's had on this is a company that has a weekly television show. Yeah, that's like Roman Reigns has five matches a month, and you could fit him on SmackDown, especially with the way SmackDown is booked. It seems like they have somebody appear one week and then they're gone next. But there is a way to get him on that show on a week to week basis. Yeah. They really wanted to. I would have put him they on. They don't NXT. see the value in him right now. That character was just like meant for NXT, especially to start off. You know. Like, I think that would have gotten over a lot quicker if they had actually pushed him to NXT first. I don't know what the situation was as to why they decided to have him straight to SmackDown. And like with Maria and the stuff she had done in Japan and stuff recently, and even him as well, I think that crowd would have been more receptive to him coming in. Yeah. Like, and it's not like he was, he certainly isn't too big to go to NXT because we've seen Samoa Joe and Shinsuke Nakamura and Bobby Roode and all of them go to NXT. Really, AJ is the only guy who really skipped it. AJ and the club. Yeah. But for the most part, you, you go to NXT when you come into WWE. That's the thing now. We don't care if you're an ROH champion, a TNA champion, a New Japan champion. That's where you go. But it also just helps, the, I think, for guys like that. The fringe ones who maybe like there would just... AJ Styles is just a unique case where people were already going to be losing their minds over him at that point. But like yeah. there are a lot more of them I think would be better off going to NXT first. And I think when the, so the tweet was basically like the dude even has troll in his name. So I guess we should, that could be part of the problem who tweeted at him. And he said, fans, WWE Woken Matt has been a huge failure. Mike Bennett said, hold my beer. Also, this joke is terrible. and needs to stop. But he even mentioned like I want to be a failure all the time, and it just it you could see that it triggered something. But I like the guy is clearly when he's talking about Woken Matt, he's talking about the character, and I I I think Woken Matt and Bray Wyatt have been just awful. Like awful. It's, I I don't think it's that ridiculous to say it's been a failure of a year on screen. You know, no one's going personal with that. It's not like he's talking about Matt Hardy's behind the scenes stuff or Bray Wyatt's behind the scenes stuff and everything else. It, it, I, I don't know. I, but this is also on Twitter. I mean, that's stupid. a general yeah. weird thing about wrestling is for the most part, you play yourself. You obviously are playing a character, but you're very much tied to that person and people expect you to be that person. Whereas if you went to see like the Batman, you went to see Dawn of justice and you were like, Oh man, Superman's so lame. Henry Cavill is not going to tweet you and be like, Hey, that was really mean of you. Yeah. Because he that's not him. He doesn't care. Whereas with someone like Mike Bennett, I think people, they're more inclined to take stuff personally because they feel like it's a lot more them. It is their name. It is their look. It's them week after week. It's a live audience instead of taping it for people later. That when you attack their character, that's 
it does become a more personal attack, even though it's not meant to be. It's hard as that actor to separate yourself from that role when that role is meant to be you. Yeah, I agree. And it makes it complicated, but I just saw that and I was just like, <sighs> Twitter is just bad. WWE needs to like train wrestlers on like, I think they do some social media training. <laughs> I know like a lot of sports do, but to just be like, stop it. Just think before you say something stupid on Twitter. And it'll get picked up. And they're looking to get a rise out of you. Like that's all that dude's doing is he's looking to get a rise out of you. And yeah, I mean, and he did it. He succeeded. Yeah. You gave him exactly what he wanted. It, yeah, not great. But um, you know what's interesting? So we're talking about indie darlings and people like AJ Styles and stuff like that. I, where are you right now? With the Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens stuff because I don't know what the end game is here. I think it's fair to say at this point that the end game for Daniel Bryan WWE is going to be messy and bad. I don't see yeah. any way this ends well because I don't think he's ever going to get cleared. And I think it's just going to get more awkward. And uh, did you see the report today about Daniel Bryan? And I think this is why it also plays a role in like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn and just this. Cause my prediction on this podcast with Connor a month ago was when the two referee situation came about and Brian interjected himself and Shane was in it and everything that they, I think they were setting up for Shane to be the heel, but I was just, I couldn't get over. I think they're actually going to do Daniel Bryan heel turn here. I think that's he's, a slow burn. Like as of this week, he seems very heel, and it all makes sense because according to the Observer this week, the plan is to kind of, and this seems like the most Vince thing ever, is to hurt Bryan's value by turning him heel to the wrestling audience who tunes into SmackDown every week by making him a heel and in Vince's head that's going to make less fans leave uh, be less um I don't know aren't going to jump at the opportunity to follow him to New Japan or Ring of Honor or wherever because he's been a heel for the last year so uh, which is ridiculous is by the, the way thing. this Vince McMahon thought of people won't follow him if he's a bad guy the people that are going to watch New Japan Pro Wrestling, they're going to watch Pro Wrestling from literally the other side of the globe to follow this guy, don't care. They understand that wrestling is playing pretend good guys and bad guys. Also, you're having him be a bad guy by allying with indie darlings Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn against the Shane McMahon. Oh my god. You think a heel is the guy who allies with the indie guys against the McMahons? That's now going to maybe leave and go to the indies. You are endearing him to that crowd. It's almost like it reminds me kind of like what they did with Bray Wyatt and Daniel Bryan, where they tried to squash this before and it just backfired and they just gave up and they're like, well, no fans, we can try and turn him heel. We can try and place him in a spot where we'll kill his value, but it doesn't work like that, especially with Daniel Bryan. Like he's a unique case in a lot of ways, but just seeing that is just, I, I can definitely see that. And it's just, absolutely absurd and like, it's impossible to get the fans against him I, it's it's bizarre and also i don't understand why you'd want to in this idea that wrestling fans in 2018 aren't comfortable watching a ring of honor show while also watching smackdown and raw on the same week is asinine like most people you watch new japan and that doesn't preclude you from watching dirty the idea that you need to sabotage these guys, especially who go to other promotions, is stupid because you want them to be better stars, I would think, because they always come back. 
so there will be bigger names when they come back. Like I think if Daniel Bryan leaves and then just tears it up for the next year or two, like would that really be that surprising if they brought him back after that for like one last run or like, it's just, it's stupid. And I, I don't understand it. Like I think Jericho, when he comes back or if Omega comes in, just having his stuff with Jericho now, like I, I, I don't understand it. I, I really don't. I know you don't like Cody, but Cody's another example where yeah, he's the worst. When he comes back, I'm not there. I like Cody, but I think when he does come back, he's a lot bigger name. And it's not like they're, I don't know. I just think that's just a stupid way of looking at it and sabotaging your own workers because you're worried about people leaving the product in 2018 is just silly. No one would do that. If you're a big Daniel Bryan fan, you're going to watch WWE every week and you're also going to watch wherever he goes. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And I don't understand. And why like, I think that. as much as you may be worried about your competition, like, New Japan is certainly growing. I think we can all agree that like the last two years have been great for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Their revenue in the last two years is what WWE makes in a month. They have a ceiling. They're this tiny little thing that, yeah, their tiny little thing is getting bigger, but you are the global. It's like, isn't there like that new flag football league or something? I know there's the NBA like big three, not NBA, but basketball like big three mm-hmm. thing with like Allen Iverson. NFL and NBA are not scared of these. Yeah. It may take away. I doubt it would take away viewers. It's more like they're going to watch this in addition. So you don't like but even if it did take away NFL viewers, it's worried about Vince and the XFL returning. I, no one is worried about the <laughs> XFL returning. Also, by the time they would finally like get it off the ground, it would be too late. Yeah, I would agree. It's not a thing they could like. I, I understand the logic of why they're talking about it is I do think that if you could have gotten a competitive football league up this year, that probably would have been the right time for it with where the NFL ratings are and the controversy around the NFL that you're not going to compete with them, but there's a spot to, there's a money-making opportunity being the number two football league. But by the time they could actually get it up and running in a couple of years, at that time's gone. Yeah, I agree. How do you see this Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens situation ending? Because I've seen that they're going to turn, they're building towards those two turning on each other. And I, I guess that means they're going to push towards a match at Mania, but I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, so who turns? Because Kevin Owens turning is like the biggest trope in pro wrestling, but it's the biggest trope in the way that I'm, I 100% hope they stick with it. Because seeing the Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho turn earlier, like last year, was one of the best moments in TV. I would do Sami Zayn turning heel or i guess he would stay heel but i would say kevin owens turning face because i think fans want to cheer kevin owens anyway and i think at some point you have to try him as a baby face just a badass baby face and that's it's also an interesting twist on it to keep keep him being the guy who like breaks up the group but he does it by becoming a good guy or just like Sami Zayn, like he leaves Sami Zayn behind yeah i would i would build it up of like people just are expecting kevin owens to do what kevin owens always does and then Sami Zayn to actually do it and be, and you could run with that of like, I was ahead of the game. I knew Kevin would, would do that. And like, he loses mind. Kevin was like, I was never going to actually turn on you. And he becomes the likable figure. And then I think you just, you can't go down the road of Kevin Owens heel and Sami Zayn face. Like that's just been done. So I think you, the better option I just think is to turn Kevin Owens face. And I think this is the time at some point you have to try Kevin Owens to baby face because fans just want to cheer for him. Like he does comedy so well and he's such an entertaining wrestler. And then like, he's a f- 
funny. He's not a comedy wrestler, but he's a funny wrestler. Mm-hmm. Like he does spots that just mess with you and stuff. And he talks a lot and talks trash. He's just amusing. That that naturally makes him. He's kind of like the Rock in that way. Or like AJ Styles, where his heel run was just fans like that, and he didn't drop too much of that character when he turned into the babyface where it's just like it was it felt natural and i think kevin owens could do the same thing where fans are just naturally going to move on and like they didn't have to change like aj Styles still says some like heelish stuff depending on your perspective if another wrestler said it then it would be misconstrued as like a heelish thing but because it's aj styles and the crowd already likes him he can say i run this place i'm the best in the world blah 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 cm punk stuff it's it's just certain guys have that ability and others don't but i think Sami Zayn is so much better as a heel than he is as a baby face. And and that is the right way to do any turn, whether you're turning to a good guy or a bad guy, is to not change your character, just to change your, your goals and change what drives you, but still act the way you've always been acting. Yeah. Like, keep your catchphrases, keep your attitude, have that consistency, because you're supposed to be a person in the world. Like, nobody wakes up in the morning and is just like, oh, I'm going to be a jerk now. Everybody wants to be the nice guy. They're just they're like, well, you know, for me to get that promotion, I'm going to have to point out the fact that this guy's not doing their job. And okay, like people may act bad in times, but they always think they're doing it with the best intentions. Yeah, I don't disagree there. So I have a side question for you that I don't know. Uh, this was just something I was thinking about too. Um, just thinking of the year ahead with wrestling. What would, would you be surprised if 205 Live does not exist in 2000, by 2019? Uh, I have never once even tuned into an episode of 205 Live. I tried. I can't. So I would not be at all surprised if the show doesn't exist when even the two of us who talk about wrestling <laughs> as part of our vocation yeah. don't bother to watch the show that we have full access to. It It's tough. It One episode a couple weeks ago I tried to watch and it was just like it started with like Cedric Alexander talking to like jack gallagher somebody backstage just casually and the dialogue was so bad and i uh, nope 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 i cannot use an hour of my week to this it's just no i can't do it i think it's gonna exist because i think they're gonna be stubborn about this and it's just gonna get progressively worse but then again i do i don't want things to fail in wrestling and i don't like i would like for it to work but i think they'd have to beef it up even more that was their biggest but like mistake. they were trying to have that uk show also and that didn't pan well, out like, why is Pete dunn not a full-time 205 live guy at this point the uk stuff needs to be dropped tyler Bate, all those guys need to be on 205 live why did they create a championship for both these shows because they get ahead of themselves they they is notorious for that though where they're not a prudent company by any means so when you have the idea of like oh we can do this so they think big and i think there might be a disconnect between triple h and vince where triple h thinks that this stuff's going to be part of the long-term plans and vince is like uh i don't think so and these guys are little yeah like i i think that would not surprise me at all if there was a disconnect where he triple h bought into this uk thing working out and blowing up and then it vince pulling the plug or vince being like i don't think this and- is viable and i don't know Doing a whole tournament of just UK wrestlers, that part alone would have worked regardless of your future plans. Just do that once a year, but don't like try and create just a division. Go, hey, it's, it's all UK people. All the shows are over there. And then, hey, the people that were good, they're just on the show now. Yeah. The same way that when they do the women's tournament, like, hey, we're going to sign some of them. We're going to sign some tag teams. You can even sign some cruiserweights and just have some smaller guys on your show. 
but the idea of like making new shows after each of these or having championships for each of these those that's just silly well the only way this also works is if they get better talent at the top of the card like Hideo Tommy is a start but you have to get guys like they didn't sign Kota Ibushi they didn't sign Zack Sabre Jr. Pete Dunn's not there like all the cruiserweights that fans would jump to are not on the show <laughs> so plus Hideo Itami's hurt so I don't know if that probably affects he that hurt again I'm just assuming oh, okay. yeah, he's never been on for more than two consecutive weeks has he it's so sad he was so awesome and do you think if he had come in now he would be just Kenta or they still would have gone the Hideo Itami route and does a better name I agree also yeah and this year they didn't even do the tag team tournament did they they just dropped it I don't even remember I believe you it sounds right that was like a, a it was a good way to get people on TV and they were just like, eh, we don't want to do that one anymore. Yeah. I, <laughs> I really don't remember this year. I swear I was looking back at like the number of pay-per-views from a year ago and just looking at the difference this year. I'm very, very glad that they've dropped a, several of them because it's amazing how many pay-per-views I watched last year. It's I, I that cannot be a yearly thing. Yeah. And then like NXT does it right where they do, I think it's like five or something. That even sounds like, like a lot. I, I in the back of my mind, I've always thought three or four. Maybe they do. They, I guess they should do four because they should do the big four, the big four wrestling ones. That would make a lot of sense. WWE should only have twelve or fourteen. It should have the four shows that are shared between brands, like the four big ones, and then each brand should get four or five. I like that. Like it's about one a month, uh, maybe a little more, but like they've had years where it's like sixteen and eighteen and stuff. Yeah. That's insane. Nobody is going to watch that much wrestling. <laughs> nobody, as wrestling fans, nobody should watch that much wrestling. I would agree. I don't even watch any wrestling live other than pay-per-views. I, I can't. I, I watch them in the morning and then I fast forward the stuff. Like I'm not sitting through Anaya Jack's um, Enzo backstage segment. I'm not sitting through um, just these 205 la- matches that just have no consequence. Like I, no, like no, you have to pick and choose. There's there's a lot of content out there, and it's silly to just watch all of it at one time, especially live. I just I can't do it. I haven't watched yeah, a three hour tape stuff, and then in. that's like the perk of social media. You know, if there was something good on it, yeah, I read the reviews before I even get started, and uh, just like to know that ahead of time. Wade Keller does a really good job of that, but yeah. Um, last thing before we need to go, what are you? most excited about in wrestling so we end on a positive note what are you looking forward to in 2018 in professional wrestling i mean most years you can look at the nxt roster and think of people there you want to come up i feel like that list now though is extremely short and by short i mean sorry okay google how tall is johnny gargano whatever answer is going to tell me is yeah 510 that list is only five foot ten this Mm. year Wow, Wait, that guy's little. Does Alistair Black not fall on your list? Because I think he is. He would. Yeah. yeah. It's and not Velveteen Dream yet. I know I might upset people. He's too weird. I just don't. That does that, give me a year. That's a gimmick that will not trans. Like I, I am very. It's an Adam Rose when, thing. Uh, Road Dog or Vince gets their hands on. That but kind like, of gimmick. he's a great worker. So I feel like that gimmick will fail after like a year or get tired and, let's be clear, and then it'll, it'll twist and reinvent and then he'll be fine he is yeah. great like but that is not give it six months and then <laughs> once yeah once it changes it'll be something good yeah he just needs to get to that point uh omega's contract is up in three weeks two weeks three weeks four weeks three weeks if i had to bet i don't think that ever comes over i don't i mean new japan clearly wants him to stay by giving him like 
their new fake title and all that. But this, like last year, was the year to sign him, and they didn't because he was under contract. This year's still pretty good because he's working with Jericho. And then if by the end of next year he hasn't come over, yeah, he probably never will, or it'll be too late and it won't matter because we've seen with indie fans like indie wrestlers, you're hot and then you're gone. I think that's why Marty Skrull, I think out of everyone in the Bullet Club, he's the most interesting in the WWE. Like, if you built 205 Live around someone like him, I think that's enough to like at least drum up some interest. I, I think that character is just, I don't know how long he can do that, but I love that character, and I I would love to see it on WWE television. I don't he, know what the Young Bucks would do at this point. Uh, be bad. I love the Young Bucks. I I just they would they don't fit in WWE at all though. But would you rather that's, have them? It's not an insult against them, but again, that's I mean they have the Bludgeon Brothers on TV. Like I think there's the reason I guess I I think more about the Young Bucks now is that tag team wrestling in WWE is so good. And it hasn't been this way in a long time. So if there ever was a time for the Young Bucks to actually like have a situation where they could work with a bunch of talented tag teams for a couple of years, it's right now. The Usos have never been better. You have the New Day. You have uh, Cesaro and Sheamus. And you have all these t- different great tag teams that like I think this would be the time. But I don't I don't think they'll ever jump either. I, I, I just don't. I don't think Omega or them will jump. I think Cody will be back in like two or three years. Yeah, but that's not a big deal. That's like Drew Galloway big. Not like big, big. I love Drew Galloway. He's he's like, he might be the most impressive wrestler I've ever seen for his size. What? If you look at his size and what he's able to do with his body, he should not be able to do and pull off the stuff that he's able to pull off. Mediocre matches? You can do that at any size. Oh, I disagree. I think Drew McIntyre is awesome. So what are you looking forward to this year? I think Ricochet oh. is going to be one of the most interesting test cases for like this new wave of just amazing wrestling talent that's still super young. Leo Rush is a start, but it's obviously not up to a great start. But Adam Cole, I think, is a little... Another old. guy who needs to learn how to use Twitter. Yeah, Ricochet is so good, but I honestly have no idea how to use him. In, uh, or I shouldn't say that. How Vince is going to use him and look at him and what he sees this guy's ceiling as. And I I mean, it seems like he is definitely going to be in the company this year. And I think it's going to be very fascinating to see if he goes to NXT or they hotshot him directly. No, he goes straight to, he goes straight to 205 live. I don't think so. I hope not, but I think you think he goes NXT and then 205 live. I think it would not surprise me if he like just debuted on SmackDown. Nope. He's little. Is he? I thought he was six feet. I feel like he's six feet. Rick Puma? Ricochet, I feel like he's six feet. Five ten. Five ten. Mm. He's Johnny Gargano. Everybody on the indies is little, so you think they're bigger. That, that, five ten under two hundred pounds. Yeah, dude. That's two oh five live. Oh my god. I really hope that's not what happens. But see what I'm saying? Like I think he's like so the most. Would, would you watch two oh five live for him? Yes. Since you said you don't watch okay. I would. So there could be value in that. Mm-hmm. Him and Gargano would be enough to have me tune in every now and then because i would watch every gargano match if i have the time and i would watch every ricochet match if i had the time and throw kenny omega in there not omega i can miss him he's, omega. Two, he's 203 oh my he fits in oh god i'm interested to see what happens with orton this year because i think he had a disastrous year last year and he was a part of a lot of bad feuds i don't think it's an indictment on him i think He's just in this weird spot, and now there's rumors of him just moving into a really part-time schedule. But he's still so, so 
that like there's also some talk about his wrestlemania plans and it seems like things are going to be okay for him do you think he's gonna win the rumble again i don't know uh i've heard that he's in a similar position of cena where they have something very big and very special planned for him but i just don't know what that means at this point i feel like it'd be like a shane match or something could you do a that's, cross brand match? That's too little, isn't it? Balor? That's too little. Mm, yeah, I don't know what. How about be. Joe Cena? He and Joe Cena? would have a good feud, I think. Cena versus Orton, and then when Cena wins, he proposes to Randy Orton. <laughs> uh, it's 2018. It's very progressive. Uh, sure, sure. Like. Yeah, Randy Orton has had a slow... The last eight months for him have just not existed. Like, he was in a title match at WrestleMania last year. And and now he's tagging with Shinsuke, which is... Um, if you don't want... Like that, you heard that a year ago, you'd be like, wow, amazing. I'm excited. Randy Orton's in a tag team with Shinsuke, but in reality, it's not worked out the way you would hope it would have. Do you have. know what I'm really excited about? The Roman Reigns-Brock Lesnar stuff's over in a couple months. Like, they finally have gotten to the point where lesnar is not going to be the part-time universal champion he's going to put rocks leaving in august right that's the end of his contract yeah but like his reign and then like this looming dark cloud that i think has existed over raw for years now of like we just know where they're going which is why we knew braun was never gonna get the title we knew why finn balor was not gonna get the title and rollins and whoever else because they are going to do roman reigns over lesnar like but that's done this year so we can move on and move forward this is finally the year yeah i'm excited that we can actually move past that i'm i don't know where they're gonna go but i think another year braun i'm excited about i think there is braun has like the most impressive wrestler as far as like this talk earlier of like expectations for people. Nobody as talked, we talked about like how people had low expectations for gender expectations for Braun, like didn't exist. Yeah. Cause he was a nobody. And now he's one of everybody's like favorite wrestlers on TV. Deservedly. I'm excited to see where Jason Jordan is in 2019. I, I have no idea where he goes and what this year is going to look like for him. I could see yeah. it going really well and I could see it flaming out and getting progressively worse. I, I'm not certain, but I'm, excited to see where that goes i think the club they're finally buying in on certain things where they're just like you know what nothing that we have our creative team has gotten <laughs> together to work on for this guy is working so let's just go back to the well of like oh we know this works we know crowd this works in japan yeah, like i guess the next month or two in japan is something i'm looking forward to because like chris jericho had his match with kenny omega at wrestle kingdom and we were never sure like what is the nature of jericho's deal with them and now they are very much setting up his next feud so it does seem like he's sticking around for at least a little while there. Yeah. We don't know we don't know how long or what else he'll be doing, but that's interesting to have a person where you're like, I don't know if he signed a one month contract or a five year contract or anything. I think we're gonna get a Samoa Joe tile reign this year. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that's gonna happen at some point. And I think it's gonna be very fun and very enjoyable. And then, you know, I think Alistair Black's gonna be on the main roster at some point, and Alistair Black's probably my favorite act right now. Yeah, he's real good. He's got great strikes. He's got a great look, great entrance. Everything about he's him great is just, it's perfect. Like that guy, if they manage to mess him up, I just, <laughs> because NXT has does not have a good track record, as you well know, of moving on to the main roster and how those guys and girls pan out. Because Aleister Black is just, you really don't have to do that much at all. It's just. Yeah, he's ready to go. Yeah, and just don't put get, put a mic in front of him. And if you do have it like once a month <laughs> i just you you saw what 
you could do with him without speaking with the Velveteen Dream view, which may actually have been like one of my favorite feuds last year. And there's just a way to use him. And I really hope they don't mess him up because I think he is just, he is the best. So I'm excited to see that. We might get AJ Styles versus him this year at some point. You never know. So that's cool. And we're winding down the Styles run because he's old and we only got one or two more years of this. <laughs> so yeah, I I don't know. I'm excited. I think wrestling will be better this year than it was last year. And like there was still so much good last mm-hmm. year. Especially if you're willing to look outside of WWE, like the match quality last year was amazing. And the rise of guys like Braun and AJ in WWE was amazing. Yeah. I hope SmackDown's better because SmackDown was like, a lo- you could tell how much a person watched SmackDown by what they thought of it this past year where it's like, oh, SmackDown, if- SmackDown is no longer the show that's like, like 2016, it was the thing. Yes. And that was not the case last year at all. And I think I- it needs to bounce back and, or I'm going to start to get worried about this brand split lasting. If they go back to back years of just really subpar booking and just they experiment with someone else this fall and summer. Like I could totally see them trying this gender thing with someone else this summer. And it's, I, I'm worried about it. So we'll see what happens there, but would not rule out somebody like who would be like the gender this year, who would be your gender pick of like, to be like a job or guy who has not been utilized. And then we'll go, um, that you could see, uh, Curtis Axel. Ooh, I could definitely see that. Which I'd be okay with. You know, he's a good wrestler, but, or, I mean, him or Bo Dallas. But it would absolutely be that case of like, just where did this come from? Yeah, I could see it being one of the fashion police. I could see like Fandango getting a weird repush. And that'd be nice. Um, he'd be my dark horse probably on SmackDown because no one else really jumps out to me. Uh, who's fits that like just jobber for the last couple of years on that show. But if you like pulled someone from raw, I mean, what if they decided to do something with Apollo Crews and they moved him back to SmackDown and they gave him a run that wouldn't be the most surprising. flopping him. Yeah. Just trying whatever they can, just throwing it at the wall. Cause that's what they did with, um, you know, gender. They just tried it and you never know, yeah. but they got the talent on the roster that this should be a great year for sure. So get excited when big cast is your WWE champion in August. Oh no, <laughs> you know who to blame now. I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Big cast is winning a ti- uh, world title in the next year or two. Yeah, I could see that's that happening. He's big. Yeah, that's happening. They're going to try that's, it. That's the criteria. He's big. Yeah, he has big in the name. Yeah, it's um, you know, there's like three guys in the company right now that have big in their first name. They really got to move on from this. Big E, big big show, big cast. Like how many big name? Uh, it's stupid. Um, but yeah, too many big people. <laughs> I no. Um, but yeah. All right. Well, wrestling's good. And we will talk again very soon. Eric Brady, thank you so much for taking the time to come on tonight. Thank you. It was fun. All right. We can find you on Twitter, Eric S. Brady. We can listen to you every week on RBR Wrestling. And you can check all of that out by going to rbrwrestling.com. And we'll be back with more episodes next week. All right. Thanks, guys. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry. 
committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com/safety or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done.